everybody welcome to sunday service we are deep into december and we've got a special guest today mr michael zuber all the way from are you all the way in norcal what would you consider where would you consider you're from oh yeah you're from i'm the bay man come on i'm from the bay Nor norcal the for the bay, but you've got an awesome office where fresno california which i've been to now, and i think it's a super special office i had a lot of fun there but michael zuber is um best-selling author you guys will see his youtube channel he's actually been like pumping out some amazing content not just the last couple of weeks not the last couple of months for a really good amount of time if you guys are not following this man you need to i almost want to change your your handle on your moniker right there from michael zuber to your instagram name what is your instagram name so i can pop it up on the screen one rental at a time one rental at a time Mm -hmm. Let me pop that up on the screen, guys. Welcome to Sunday service. We're just giving a couple of minutes to get everybody in here. Usually on Sunday service, we have about 350 to 400 people watching live, which is really fun. The problem is when you go live, it takes people a couple of minutes to get into the show. So while we're doing that, Michael, what are you doing to wrap up the year? Are, are, are you guys slowing down or are you guys getting ready for next year? Are you working harder? What, 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 what's the next two weeks look like for you? Uh, the good news uh, about my business is, is it's not calendar driven. So it doesn't change because it's close to December 31st or January. In fact, I break my, I break down my life into 13 week chunks and it always start for me, it starts December one. So I've just started a new 13 week cycle. Uh, so I have a series of goals. I talk about them every Sunday, just like you do Sunday service. And their health goals, business goals, cash flow goals, helping people goals, charity goals. Uh, but yeah, I've lived in a commission-based world for the last 25 years, and I've always run my life in 13-week chunks. So that, that's what I do. My life's 13 weeks in duration. I'm in now just starting week three of a new period. So, Tell uh, everybody why it's 13 weeks. 13 weeks because it's a calendar quarter. I was in the software sales, and we have a fiscal quarter, 52 weeks divided by four is 13 that's how we're paid. That's how we're rewarded. And frankly, that's how we're fired. I worked in a high stress industry um, that literally you could be fired every thir every 13 weeks if you didn't perform. And not only did I perform, I crushed it for many years, helped other people do it. And now, um, you know, I'm helping in a different space. But yeah, it really helps. I think a year is too long for most people, right? You, it, I mean, everybody's coming up on January 1st and a, a gazillion people are going to be putting out New Year's resolutions and they're done by the 15th of January. I live in 13 week chunks. I break down things into weekly components. That's why I re I actually go on my YouTube channel. I did it this, I think at four o'clock today. And I break down all my goals every week. Every week like clockwork, you'll hear me say, I did this one well, I did this one bad, I did this one well, I did this one bad. And um, it, it holds me accountable, but it also shows people what it takes to build a portfolio, to run a business. It doesn't mean sit down January one with a mimosa and say, hey, I'm gonna lose weight and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill it in real estate. And you don't, you don't break them down, right? Those are interesting goals. Those are nice, but you got to break them down, right? Okay, you want to lose weight. Well, what does that mean? It means I need to eat better and work out. Well, okay, what does that mean? Well, that means I need to get up at 6 a.m. five days a week. I need to cut calories from 3,500 to 2,800, whatever it is. It's the same deal if you want to be in real estate. What does your business need? Do you want? Do you need to talk to more sellers? Do you need to do more mailing? Do you need to do more driving for dollars? What is it? How are you breaking it down? It's I'm not going to be the number one this or that in my market. That's cool, but you got to break it down in chunks, and that's just how my mind works kind of been programmed that way by lots of tremendous sales leaders over the years. 
Michael, I consider you a friend, so I'm going to treat Sunday service this week more like I'm talking to my buddy. Um, sure. This is actually getting me interested. Okay, you know how, <laughs> you, you know how yeah. sometimes you'll interview people and you're like, okay, I know this will help the audience, right? But guys, I, Michael Zuber has done a tremendous amount of real estate. This man is unbelievable. And when he speaks about something, I truly get interested. So now I'm interested. I'm, I'm truly interested. And this is what I'm interested about is that people want to have these big, long drawn out goals. So Michael, if I come to you and I go, Hey, how do I break down my next 90 days or my next, in your world, your next 13 weeks, mm -hmm. I'm brand new. Actually guys, everybody in the audience, Okay, I want to get some comments up on the screen here. Okay, we're now trending towards 175 people. Things are trending. We're going to be at 300, 350 pretty soon tonight. So please like, comment, um, and share. Sit down with Michael. I want you to paint a picture of what that, what, where you're at in your business. Are you starting out? Did you literally just find out about wholesale and rentals and buy and holds and subject to, did you just figure this out like a week ago? Or have you known about this for six months? You still haven't gotten your deal. I want to see where the audience is today because what I want to do is I want to pick a few of those people out. I want to pick a few of those people out and we're going to talk about some 13 week goals that Michael would think are good goals for those people. What do you think about that, Michael? I'm down, man. I would love to do that. I'd love to help people. Absolutely. Please. Cool. So while, while we're finding out what everybody, um, where everybody's at, this is, I'm going to say this one more time because now we're, we're trending higher. Where are you at in your business? How long have you been in your business? And um, what are you currently struggling with in your business? I want to know that. Drop it in the comments because we're going to pick a few people out out of the comment section. But while we wait for people to do that, I want to point out something really, really cool that our community did. Um, Michael, I know it's Sunday, so I don't know if you've been following our Instagram today. Have you been? I have. I just saw. I saw what you're. Yeah, please do. That was. That's so I'm going to cool. share this real quick. I'm going to do a little screen share and show you guys something that our community um, has been working on the last couple of days. Very, very special. So um, about a week ago, my Northern California and my Southern California um, accountability groups, they did a thank you party for me and a couple of my, my team members. And we had like 200 people on a Zoom and NorCal and SoCal, all my students in NorCal and SoCal were basically just saying, thank you so much, your team and everybody for the year. We know that Pace doesn't like gifts. So what we did is we put $1,000 together that we want to give to a charity in your name or in sub two's name. And I was like, wow, that's like the greatest gift of all time. So I then decided because Jamil's birthday, which Michael, you've met Jamil. We've been to your office up there in Fresno. Jamil's birthday was Saturday. So I said, you know, I'm going to do this crazy six hour zoom just for sub two and Astro, just a private event all about how to get your first deal, how to start. If you're brand new and starting, what is that all about? And at the very beginning of that Zoom, we announced that I was going to take the $1,000 that was being gifted to me to name wherever I wanted it to go. And we, we were going to add $9,000 to it and bump it up to $10,000.
And we were going to give it to Miles and Denise. And Miles, um, for anybody that doesn't know this story, it's up on the screen right here. Miles, about uh, two and a half, three months ago, was driving home from the gym and a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour hit him head on. <clears throat> he woke up in the hospital. Okay. Guys, I love these comments in the in the side chat, by the way. I'm going to highlight, start hiding, highlighting those. We're going to go through those with Michael here in just a minute. So he wakes up in the hospital. Every bone in his body is shattered except his spine and his skull. Everything is just completely shattered. So fast forward, um, he ends up losing his leg. Um, he ends up getting amputated. Jamil and I make a special trip to, you know, fly, we flew out to Atlanta, drove over to Greenville, South Carolina, went and visited him. And I was amazed by his spirit. You know, I walked, we, his wife didn't tell him we were coming. I was coordinating with his wife. His wife didn't tell him we were coming. We just show up, walk into his room, and there he is in his bed. And he's got his laptop with him. What do you think he's doing? He's working. Hmm. He had just lost his leg less than 30 days ago. This is a physically fit guy. I mean, he got hit and lost his leg because he was going to the gym. He ends up losing his leg. This guy is working even after what just happened to him, which is so funny because I know you mentor a lot of people, just not even so much a mentorship program, but you have an office where you said, you know, what? I'm going to cultivate all this community here in Fresno and I'm going to let people use my office. I'm going to have a contractor in here. I'm going to have an Airbnb guy in here. I'm going to have a wholesaler. And I'm just going to create like a brotherhood of sorts. So you know the people who are going to work and you know the people who aren't going to work. And it's always the people that aren't going to work are always going to find an excuse not to work, right? And so here's what happened with Miles. I walk in and here he is with every excuse you could ever imagine. Not even excuse, reasons, right? They're not even excuses. They're reasons why you shouldn't be working. And if you look at the photo, you can see his skin has been grafted from all over his body to keep other parts of his body alive. This guy is sitting here with a finger that's barely working and he's, and he's actually going through the computer and he's finding other people who are amputees in his local area to network with them and build it, you know, like be part of the community. You know, he's just that guy. So Jamil and I left feeling ultra touched and Jamil tells me, he goes, that was honestly one of the best things that could have ever happened to me in my whole life. So I knew that it would be kind of a cool birthday present to let Jamil know that Cody, Matt, myself um, are going to donate on top of what my sub two students were donating. We're going to donate nine grand to make it an even 10 grand. So during this Zoom, my student, Kelly Hanno, she goes, you know what? Why don't we open this up to a GoFundMe account? And so over the course of the last 24 hours, the ten, there's $10,000 that's already sitting to the side, not even in this GoFundMe account. And now the, um, the community, a lot of people right here on this Zoom, or I'm sorry, on this live right now on Sunday service, they donated. We have, we have how many people donated? I think we have 150 something people have donated. I don't, we won't go into all the people's names, but check this out. Let's see. Oh yeah, it's right here. 170 people donated right here, guys. 170 people. Thank you so much. 
We have raised $13,000 from those 170 people that are going to Miles and his wife because they have no income. I, it, it's, I think they're going to ultimately find out that this girl that hit him might not even have insurance. And so it's a horrible situation. He's lost his ability to produce money for the or short while. And so the community came together and between the 13 grand that the community has put together for the 170 donors and the 10 grand that we've put together, we're at $23,000 for this family. Now, I don't do that to toot my own horn or, hey, look what we did. I do that to show what a real estate community really can do is that we don't let people, especially the people who don't have excuses, the people that take action. So everything we're going to get into with Michael tonight, we're going to, he's going to be talking about goals. 13 we, I'm loving this topic, by the way. And the number one recipe on top of whatever he's going to talk about, because I'm going to let him talk, is step one has got to be action. Okay, and the action takers are blessed. And so, guys, thank you so much. I just wanted to publicly thank everybody um, that has donated to this. Thank you so much. Um, I know that uh, Miles and his wife have made um, messages into our private Facebook group, and uh, it's been a really, really good heartwarming experience for everybody. Um, he's being blessed because he's an action taker and he's inspirational. He's not making excuses. He's being blessed. And so, um, just let that be the first lesson for the night is a take action. So I'm, I'm seeing some amazing stuff on here. Okay. So let's jump on here and let's take some of these comments. Michael, if you see any of these comments that you really like, let me know, but I see a whole bunch that I really like. Um, okay. I'm just going to start popping a couple of, of them up on here. Okay. Sure. Rylas, Dana, by the way, big fan. He's my one of my probate attorneys. We've done a lot of deals with Rylas. Big fan of the Daily Financial News and Michael Zuber. Great to see you on Sunday's service. Um, okay, so LP Reviews says he's a few months in. Great. I need a little bit more detail. Adrian Je Jeffrey says, two deals in, ready to do a subject two. Struggling to know how to fill out the paperwork for subject two and creative finance. That's pretty easy. Find one of my students. They'll help you out. Um, Darren Talcott says, doing this full-time a year now, chasing first deal, no excuses, a 990 challenge, chill, still chasing. Darren, I think there's like four or five deals you're really close on. I'm not going to jump into yours. I think some, we're going to jump into somebody who has a little bit more detail. Three months in, still working towards my first deal, found out about real estate investing five months ago, just joined my company with another investor real estate agent to both productivity. To boost, oh, I see, to boost productivity. So, Michael, mm -hmm. let's take somebody that has a nine to five job. Yep. Okay, somebody has a nine to five job. They found out about real estate three months ago. It doesn't even matter what real estate, fix and flip, rental, wholesale. From your experience level and the type of investing you like to do, Mm -hmm. If you could talk to somebody that's three months in, hasn't gotten their first deal, has a nine to five job, and maybe a little bit of a budget to spend on some marketing, what would you say is a good set of goals to have in a 13-week period? Or would you tell them to do a year-long goal? No, 13 weeks. Always 13 weeks. Always 13 weeks. You, you need to set a goal. You need to hold yourself accountable. If it's too long, too many excuses. It's, it's not okay. A month is too long. 
you need to look at yourself in the mirror every week. For me, it's Sunday. I don't care what day it is, pick a day, but it has to be religious, right? So whatever day that is, 13 weeks is the answer. So the first thing I would tell every new investor, whether it's fix and flip, wholesale, buy and hold, a multifamily, whatever it is, is you have to learn your market. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is you have to focus. Real estate investing is great because it provides option, but it's also horrible because it provides option, right? If you are a nine to five employee like I was, you bust your butt during the day, you fly all over the world. I could have been on three continents inside of a six day period constantly. So what did I have to do? I had to find 10 to 20 minutes a day to research a market I never lived in. I didn't know anyone. I had no real estate experience. My family wasn't from money. They're high school graduates. I, I, I didn't have anything, but I dove in. So what do you have to do? First, you have to focus. Stop it with all the craziness. What I mean by that, if you're going to be a buy and hold investor, is you don't say, I'm going to learn Fresno, California, which is a million people. No, you say, I'm going to learn 93703, which is the Mayfair district. But it's not only that. It's, you know, the 93703's probably got 25,000 homes in it, probably 2,000 multifamilies. Too big. You've got to go in and say, I'm going to learn the Mayfair district, 93703. I'm going to learn single family homes. And I'm going to learn single family homes between 1,250 and 1,500 square feet. You need to save that darn search. You need to hit that search every day for at least 45 days and document, document, document. You need to understand what is going on, what's going up, what's going out, what's coming back. Is it clean? Is it turnkey? Is it a dump? Does it need, is it, uh, does it need a full remodel? What is going on? What you need to be able to answer me in 45 days is what is my return? What is my average cash on cash for 93703, 1,250 to 1,500 square feet? I call it yield. Some people call it cash on cash. I don't care what you call it. It's simple math. Income minus expenses produces cash flow. Cash flow, a yearly cash flow on top of all out-of-pocket expenses is your yield. You're going to tell me in 45 days what the average yield is. And if you can't, you keep looking. Because once you know average, once you can tell me Fresno 93703 is in 5% average yield, magic unlocks. Because here's the deal. 98 to 99% of the deals on the market are average or suck. Suck means they're negative cash flow. Especially today when there's no freaking inventory because owner occupants can get a 2.5% mortgage and just freaking outpay us. But when you know average is 5%, your job and your only job is to get good or great deals, which could mean 6% to 9%. If you only focus on doing good or great deals, life gets easy. But you can't do that until you tell me average. If you walk in to Fresno and you look at the market for three days and you make four offers, you're gambling. How do you know the blue one's good? I mean, come on. You haven't done any work. I only want to talk to people that do the work. That's that's the first thing I talk about. I get all kinds of people coming to gum up my feed, this and that and this. Do the work. I'm very clear. Focus. I believe a full-time employee, because I did it and I've done it for 20 years, can learn a market they've never lived in, didn't know anybody, had no contact, and had no real estate experience. You can learn it 10 to 20 minutes a day, but you have to do it every day. Don't you freaking come to me and tell me I can give you four hours on Saturday. Four hours on Saturday is not every day. I don't care if it's cumulatively more time. It's every day, 10 to 20 minutes. 
That's it. That's what you got to do. You have to focus. I can guarantee the people that were that will give you four hours on Saturday definitely are caught all the way up on Mandalorian season one <laughs> and season two. I guarantee you're right. Yeah, it's right. Crazy. I mean that that is an interesting thing. Um, so if I'm if I'm putting my goals together, Michael, where are you writing these goals? Right. So let's say goal number one: know my market. I I know so this and you know this well. When you mm -hmm. say something online, people are going to be confused by it. And you do a really, really good job by saying, okay, well, let me tell you what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. I think the only question we haven't answered on your first goal, which is get to know your market, a smaller niche market or one part of one zip code. How do I choose that zip code if I, if I don't even know where to start? Ah, see, you're, you're, you're overthinking it. In the beginning, what you need to do is learn a skill. I consider it a golf swing. I generally hate sports analogies, but it's the only analogy that works for me. So what about wax on, wax off? Is that a good analogy? Yeah, it is, but it's not me. I've never done it. Right. <laughs> I, I get people to do that stuff. <laughs> so I, have you ever swung a golf club pace? Um, one million times. One million you're talking to like it's his favorite if you start going down this do analogy world i'm gonna we're gonna be three hours into go golf analogies i love I, golf analogies so keep going keep going with the golf analogy i love it I, did, I didn't pick up a golf club until i was 20 years old i didn't pick it up i was a decent sports athlete and, you know put anything in my hands i could figure it out i picked up a golf club and i almost hurt myself right it's just unnatural so what you do in golf, at least what I did, is I went to a driving range and swung a lot of times until I can finally hit the ball without digging the club into the ground, right? But once you learn that skill, you can take it to any market. So what do I mean by your earlier comment? Don't stress out picking a market. Too many people go, which market? And then they're lost. They lose a year because then they go to Birmingham. And then they go to Dallas. And they go to Memphis. And they go to Nashville. And they go to Phoenix. They go to Detroit. I don't fucking care what market it is. You need to learn. <laughs> I, do, I do. I do really do like this analogy. And here's why. Because the golf analogy, you can go super deep. When you find people that are barely learning how to play golf, they spend so many hours researching the right brand, the right grip, the right bag. And I'm like, yo, dude, like literally <laughs> just take my used clubs. I have two sets of clubs and I give people my used set of cl clubs, like just use these. Don't go buy any. Don't go buy any. Use these. They'll work just fine. And well, then once you get the hang of it, now you can go get your new clubs. Well, here's the deal. It's even better if you just say, here's my used pitching wedge. Right. Because the same swing. Just right. go use the pitching wedge. Because if you can hit the pitching wedge, you probably can hit a nine iron. And if you probably can hit a nine iron, you probably hit an eight iron. So don't stress about the market. I... You, you need to learn the skill of learning a market. And the only way to learn a skill is to repeat it daily. The only way to learn a golf swing is to repeat it daily. Once you can get the rough feel of it, then you can get some coaching and some tweaking and all of that. Then, and only then, do you go to the golf course. So I don't even believe most people should pick a market, should stress about a market until they're four or five months into learning it. Because once you know the skill, that skill that we teach and talk about, Pace and, and Cody, as you know, you can take it anywhere. How the hell does Pace go all over the country? It's because he's learned the skill of learning a market. It's the same skill, whether it's Memphis or Charlotte or Miami or Chicago or New York. Real estate's real estate. Rent, rent. It's the same stuff, but you've got to be disciplined and learn this. Don't rush it. Don't waste months picking a market because that's not the important thing. Learn the skill 
of learning a market. And for most people, the right answer is to learn a market in your backyard because you should go kick rocks. You should walk through it. You should meet people. Real estate's a people business. Get comfortable. Stop looking at your computer. Get out in the real world. Right. And, and even if you're in the Bay Area, you have no intention of investing here. You can still learn the skill of learning a market in the Bay because maybe the Bay's average is 2% and 2% is terrible. But still, if you learn it and you can now, after 45 days, look at that new listing in, uh, in San Jose and go, wow, that's a good deal. That's the best deal I've seen. Aha. Uh -huh, now you can take that skill and drop it anywhere in the country. Love this. So here, here is my question. And, and you've given the answer. Question is, what's my first goal? 13 weeks. Okay, my first goal is in 45 days, not even 13 weeks. Inside that 13 weeks, I need a 45-day goal or less. Pick one zip code. It should be my not just my local market, but maybe the zip code my house or my apartment or whatever is in because I know it the best. I drive through it. I'm constantly going to Starbucks or whatever it is I'm doing. I'm driving through it all the time. So as you're looking and researching the neighborhood, you're also going to go, oh, wow, I, I saw that house the other day on, on blah, 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 whatever website. What website would you suggest that they should research if they're not a licensed agent? So again, I was not a licensed agent doing this. I, I just use realtor.com. And remember, I've been doing this 20 years. So realtor.com right. didn't even exist. So I had, there at, back in the day, people had websites and they would give you like a sliver of access. Oh yeah, dude. That's all I had. I had like 14 fields and I learned a market I've never lived in. I still have never spent the night in Fresno. And it was all because of those 14 fields. Never paid for access, never been a licensed agent, none of these other things. But I was religious every day. And I just, I, I didn't even expand out of the Mayfair for two and a half years. My first six houses were all in the Mayfair because that's all I knew. Wow. I didn't have time to learn anything else. Because there's so many opportunities, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I just, I learned that the Mayfair back in the day was an average of a seven and a half. And as long as I could find or create nines or greater, I would deal with the nines all day long. It wasn't until returns because prices kept going up when they got under six, I had to find other areas in Fresno to take that skill. And once you learn how to do it in Mayfair, right? For me, the tower was much faster and old fig garden was faster. It just, it just accelerates. The flywheel just, just grows and grows. I like this. So Kelly Hanno, all the way out of Florida says, how do you do that specific research? What are you looking for? If I'm brand new, Ke the Kelly, this is Kelly's first year in real estate. She actually jumped into real estate because she got laid off because of COVID. Mm. Right. And there's a lot of people that are in this real estate space right now that COVID has disrupted. So yeah. if they've never had a Michael Zuber tell them, yo, first and foremost, don't do the one year goals, do yep. the 13 week goals. And then he says, go focus on one zip code. And, the, and then he says, go use realtor.com or use Redfin or Zillow, Zillow for that matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Now, what is my re research? Yeah. So what I would ask Kelly to do is pick, again, this is the goal. And, and I have to assume this is the goal for Kelly because if it's not the goal, then this is the wrong first step. But if the goal for Kelly is to start buying and understanding what a good or great deal is to either buy and hold, to flip, wholesale, whatever it is, it all applies. Assuming that's the end goal. The first step for me is to pick a market. So again, pick a zip code, Kelly. And what I want you to do is I want you to put together a search criteria. So I said it earlier, right? Single family home, that's a checkbox. So you're not looking at multifamily. You're not looking at condos, single family. You're going to look for a certain size. And what I tell my students, because again, most of my students are full-time. I want that search criteria to be no more than 40 active listings, four zero. If it's less than 20, 
it needs to be bigger, right? If you put in such a tight search, it's eight, it's too tight, loosen it, right? I want that first search criteria to be between 20 and 40 active listings. And then I want you to take the time to document it. Address. And I, I physically tell them to put it in Excel because there is something about typing it in, looking at our run screen, putting it down, feeling it, touching it. And then Kelly, I would hit that search every day. And you would notice, hey, now there's 41. Then there's 38. Oh, this one had a price drop. This one says pending. And what you're going to start to see is inventory evolves. You start to learn the heartbeat of that zip code, that property type, that area. And probably somewhere between day 30 and day 45, you're going to know that criteria better than 98% of the real estate agents out there in that market. And that gives you the power to understand average. And when you know average, you can do good or great. So here's what's cool about Kelly. Um, Kelly comes on board. Um, she joined my sub two mentorship earlier this year. And um, she immediately, like day one, was a value add, right? You, you just know people that just jump into your community and you're like, you're a game changing type of person. So nice. I give Kelly an opportunity. Her and I have a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, four months after she joined the mentorship. And I give her an opportunity actually to do some things for me because I saw how, how much she was helping people for free in our, in our community. Nice. And I ended up hiring her. Cody and I ended up hiring her full time. She actually runs our media company now. Wow. And what I told her is I said, everybody that works for me has to live in their own sub two or seller finance house. And I will be your financier for the, you know, what, let's say the, the seller wants to give you or wants a down payment, take over the house sub two, or you've got a seller finance situation, seller wants a down payment. I will fund that because you're my employee. Okay. Wow. So Kelly, this is an amazing conversation here. The universe had to have Michael on here tonight to let you know. She, we're, I told you, I said, go find the area that you want the house and we'll start having people look for the opportunity. So Kelly, what is the zip code that you want to live in? Maybe not where you currently live, where you're renting, but find the zip code you want to live in and let's do the research. You should be the, the all-seeing oracle of that zip code, right, Michael? Yeah, that's the idea. Yep. Do you think she could accomplish that in 45 days? Absolutely. Um, yes. Given what you've, what you've told me about her, I, I would be shocked if she doesn't do it in 45 days. Yes. If she has a couple of questions, where can she fi find you, Michael? Well, you can always find me. Probably the easiest way to direct message me is Instagram. So one rental at a time. Uh, she can obviously get my email address through you. I'm fine to connect or give her my phone number, whatever you like. Um, I'm always I'm always game to, to help people that are referrals from my friends like you too. Love that. Thank you so much, brother. I Here's the thing is, guys, look at the bottom of the screen. One rental at a time is um, his Instagram. So go check that out. Um, look at this. Roldan says, this is top of the line Sunday service. Thank you for bringing Michael to the show because after all this business is about is building wealth at the best approach and the best approach is doing it one rental at a time. I love that. So that's one, that's one goal if I'm brand new and I'm 90 days in, I've got a nine to five. I love that goal. Go and learn one zip code. And as you say, the heartbeat, heartbeat or the pulse. And mm -hmm. if you do that for 45 days, you will know that zip code better than 98% of real estate professionals. Amen. Well said.
You know what I love about that, Michael, is it's the confidence that it gives you to make decisions when buying. Because what I've found is with a lot of new investors that they may be too timid to pull the trigger buying a deal. But when you know the data, you know the research, you did the research, you put in the work that you see a deal, it stands out. It's like like you look at it and, you know, 10 other eyes could be looking at that deal and you know it's a deal immediately. Um, And that's something that, you know, I found like, with Pace and myself, there's certain areas of town here in Arizona where I don't even need to comp it. I hear a number and I know that's a deal, the done deal, like contract it. So I just think that, you know, especially being new within those first few months in the business, the confidence that it instills when you know, you know, the area once when you're an expert in that area, it just brings so much confidence behind you. I, and Cody, I'm glad you, you nailed it. I mean, that's, that's the key behind one rental at a time for new folks. It is, it is that confidence thing. And the other thing we all need to realize, and again, you know, kind of the luxury of being the old guy on this call is I've been doing this 20 years. So before the last crash, right. And there's still a lot of people out there that got burned in 08, 09. And why I bring that up is because I I run into lots of people where one of the parties is gung ho on real estate and the other one has some, some bad memories or some scars from the past. And this is another way to show I actually use it as a test, right? If you've been learning your market for 45 days, you have probably touched 400, maybe 600 different properties over that duration. And when you can go in and tell your significant other, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, mom, father, this one is the top five I've seen. And then you show them the list. It's like a different conversation because usually what happens is you get all hot and bothered, right? Real estate's full of shooting stars. They go, hey, I've looked at seven houses and I think the yellow one's cool. Well, how do you know the yellow one's cool, right? You've done like five minutes of research. But if you can show me a list of 400 homes, you've done all the math, you show me the bad ones, the good ones, the one that's like this and not like that. Now we're having a different conversation. Love that. Um, Okay, so Scott, this has been great. Scott Barker says, is there a price point we should be looking at in our market? Well, there's the beauty. When you go learn your market, it will tell you. I would tell you most markets, you have to buy below the median. So whatever the median is for your market. Most markets, affordable housing, which again is below the median, is the best return. But I'm not arrogant enough or silly enough to say I know all markets. There may be some markets where you're going median plus, maybe it's the only new builds in the area. And you can get twice the rent because it's on a golf course or something. I'm not going to tell you what the right answer is. The math is going to tell you what the right answer is. In my market, for a, my market today, it's usually about 180k house to 240. They'll rent between 1500 and 1900. That's that's kind of where my market is. And the median in Fresno is about 367, right? So I'm about what 80% of the median. That's that's most markets. But the math will tell you. Uh, and I tell people to research it, right? It, again, look at the Monopoly board, right? Do you buy the dark purples, the light blues, the, you know, whatever the other, uh, oranges or whatever they are? Or do you go buy Park Place and Boardwalk? Well, I believe me, I would buy Park Place and Boardwalk if they had the highest yield. Yield is my only variable, guys. People keep asking me, do you buy cash flow, number of units, all these things? No, I want to know how hard my money is working. How much money came out of my bank account? How much money goes back in my bank account? I don't care about discounts. I don't care about appreciation. I don't care about mortgage pay down. None of that nonsense. I want to know how much came out 
and how much goes in. And I, I, what really drives people crazy in my world is so many people in my world, one rental at a time, buy apartments, buy multifamily. Why? What, who said Grant Cardone's always right? When, when is bigger is better? Who said? Right? He's, right because he's right because he's better at marketing than most people. He's certainly louder. Yes. He's louder. <laughs> yeah. He's louder. And that's, that's the challenge is that it's, it, the, the louder person can confuse people. And that, just because that's his strategy doesn't mean that it should be yours. And it doesn't mean that it's better. I do, I do like what you're saying because I teach people, especially on the creative finance front, I teach people. And look, what you're doing and what we're doing is the exact same thing. Our acquisition strategy is just a little bit different, right? How we acquire those properties is a little bit different. Well, that's, that's the reason I reached out to you because this is the right. conversation. That topic you just mentioned is why I wanted to talk to you because I think people need to hear this from my side to your side, right? Why did I buy via traditional purchases, some seller financing from 03 to like 18. Well, first off, the first eight years, that was the only way you could really do things, right? Because the debt structure of the asset was toxic. You would not you would not buy an asset most of the time that was 50K underwater, had a balloon payment, and was negative cash flow, you know, a thousand bucks. I mean, it just didn't make and, sense. And right? had, a, had an adjustable rate mortgage. Yeah, exactly. It's just a bad debt structure, <laughs> right? It's just it, it, the, the asset, which was the note was toxic. I mean, it really was. But what I see coming, what I see what you and Cody are doing here is the asset, the 30 year fixed rate note is going to have so much power and so much value for probably the next five to 10 years. Because average loans, seven, eight years, they refi, they go do something stupid with their money. But what's, it's just what happens. What's going to happen, though, is you guys are going, you're teaching people how to acquire property and hold them long term and cash flow. What did I do? How did I build an eight-figure net worth? It's because I was able to secure assets. I was able to watch the market go up and down, move equity around, but I held long term. I made sure everything cash flowed day one and held long term. I believe subject two is going to be one of my number one strategies for acquisition of units from probably April of 21 to you know April, December of 25 or 26. I really do. And that's why I'm following you and being a part of this. Because I don't, do I want another mortgage? No. Could I get one? Maybe. But if I can control assets, cash flow, hold them for the long term, that's all I want. Do I really care if a mortgage is there or if it's subject to? I just want to control for the long term, make sure it cash flows every month, and then I'll dispose of the asset at some later date in 1031 or sell for cash or pay off the note, whatever. It's That's the options. And what you're doing in the subject to stuff is going to be the number one vehicle to acquire units, in my opinion, probably for the next four or five years. So, Michael, tell me what your thoughts are on this. I, I, I've i been passionate about, you know, Jory Alston? Mm-hmm. So Jory Alston and I have been talking about putting a mastermind together with high level operators, people that are buying, you know, four to 10 assets a year, um, not just creatively, but, you know, sometimes using the Burr strategy, whatever, but people who are actually buying and holding properties. Mm-hmm. And we're going to limit this mastermind to four people per, I was going to say state, but the challenge with a California is that California is like three states in and of itself. And Texas is also like three, four states in and of itself. So, you know, there's going to be places like North Dakota, that's, that's one place. And then Texas might be three, California might be four, but overall we're planning on putting together 300 high level, not beginners, 
high level people only, cost of mastermind incredibly low, threshold incredibly high. So challenging to get into. So the figureheads are, we have a real estate attorney, Scott Horn, who's going to be one of the figureheads, 35 years in subject to seller finance. Myself, Jory Alston, man, I would love to have you as one of the figureheads of this mastermind. Let's go. We're, 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 what we're going to do, we're calling it the Creative Coalition. And the goal is to do a handful of things. The goal is to create... Um, value for real estate agents, wholesalers, et cetera, by going into each one of these markets and saying, here's four prominent players in your geographical area that can be buyers for you, mentors for you, for these things. These are verified buyers that have verified assets, mm -hmm. not just a, a dope ass YouTube, you know, playlist, but I they also you. own assets. Okay. Um, and then also what we're planning on doing is building out continued education for real estate agents that they can actually get credit on a yearly basis for taking education from us for free. And that mm -hmm. education would be primarily on how to target opportunities for creative finance, seller finance, et cetera, and bring those to the creative coalition in terms of bringing deals to the table. So it's essentially a, a mastermind that uh, so we've we've got our first one in Atlanta. We're putting together the curriculum currently. It's cost us about seventy five hundred bucks. The curriculum should be written in sixty days. We then get it approved by the real estate board, and we do an eight hour education that's recorded, and then it becomes the model for other states to go and do the same thing. Create the curriculum, do the continued education, bring on real estate agents, give them more tools to fight the i buyers and be more competitive in their real estate space and also become real estate agent in, you know, agent investors or bring them to guys like us, guys like you in their local market. And mm -hmm. we need high level guys. We need guys that have been doing it and girls that have been mm -hmm. doing it for a long time. Um, so anyway, we're, that launches in February of next year. Again, the price is incredibly low. Like, I've been telling people the price to, uh, to get in and people are like, what? So that's like for one month? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm over the masterminds of people showing up. And at the end of the day, you walk away basically learning that you just need to work harder, right? People mm -hmm. go to these 25, 35, $45,000 masterminds on a yearly basis just to learn. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not doing this enough. I'm not whatever. What I want to do is I want to have a mastermind of deal doers and creative finance professionals nationwide that can be an entire, like a powerhouse acquisition team for anybody in the nation. And um, so it's not, it's not really open to the general public. It's open to people who are doing a certain amount of deals on a yearly basis between maybe them and their partner, whatever. So that if you are somebody, let's say the threshold is you have to be buying four long-term assets per year and you only buy three in 2022, well, then you would lose your seat. Somebody else would need to come in. Like I want this to be very tight in terms of only producers in the real estate space. And if you go, hey, I'm retired, I'm not acquiring anymore. Great. Then this probably is not a good fit for you. We want people who are acquiring assets. What are your thoughts on building something like that? I saw a little bit of that in your in your stream, and was hoping to be invited to be a part of it. Um, I like what you do. You know, I got some time with you at the office there. We seem to see the world the same way. We want to give back. That's why I reached out. So yeah, if I could 
you know, it'd be an honor to be a part of something you're putting together like that. So yeah, you can count on me. That'd be great. I'm, the biggest goal, honestly, is to normalize the conversation nationwide over the, a number of years, normalize the conversation around subject to seller finance. I'm amazed by real estate agents that don't even understand seller finance. Forget <laughs> about subject to. Like I say seller finance. Wait, okay. How does that work? Well, yeah. uh, we create a note. The sell, you know, I pay the seller every month as if they're like, they are my bank. Wait, what's a note? Oh my gosh, how do you not know what a note is? Right? You're a licensed yeah. agent. They don't own their own yeah. house and never bought into it. Themselves. Yeah, I can tell you that seller financing is one of the most magical ways to buy property. And if you know how to tell the story, seller financing to a frustrated landlord is a godsend. Right? You save them, you save year one taxes, you allow them to have more income than they probably had before, you remove all stress. It's, it's magical. Um, I think I added 15 or 16 units just last year via seller financing. And oh, by the way, I got a $400,000 discount. It's not bad. It's okay. Yeah. It's, all it's good. the best. But I, you, I love this topic that you brought up earlier, right? So I tell people all the time, all the time appreciation is great. Depreciation is amazing, especially like in our wholesale and our fix and flip business. And we have dividend income coming in from, you know, royalties and stuff like that from, our apps that we've built and we're partners from we're silent partners. So we get paid passive income. Sure. Depre Depreciation is a magical thing for us. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't cash flow, so rule number one for us, always cash flow. I do not care what else is going on. Always, always cash flow, which in your terminology is yield, mm -hmm. right? Because our cash flow, we don't care about gross cash flow. We care about net cash flow. Net. Cash flow. What is coming into our pocket after all expenses, after we, we call it our war chest. So we take a percentage of our income, we pay our lenders, we pay our, our mortgage, we pay, you know, maintenance, all that kind of stuff. And then we have a war chest on top of that, that is for vacancy repairs. Now, after that, <laughs> I can, I can go buy sushi with that. Exactly. Yes. There's my yield. That's my yield, right? That's my cash on cash return. Well, so what would happen is that is the numerator of a two form. So that, that's the numerator. That's the yearly cash flow. Let's just say net, net, net is a hundred bucks a month, right? You have reserves, you have all that stuff. Net, net, hundred bucks for sushi. Hundred times 12 is 1200 bucks. Then your denominators, how much cash did you have to put out to get the property? So let's right? say it's uh let's say it's 12 grand. So that would be, that would mean, so sub two, our average sub two outlay is about 15 to 20 grand, depending on the market, right? So that's cash to seller, that's closing costs, that's minor repairs. That's a couple months of, of payments yep. while it's vacant, waiting for a tenant. Or exactly. let's say, let's say it's 12 grand on this particular property. That's a 10% right. yield right there. That's that. And in most markets, I in Fresno, you brought me a ten percent deal. I couldn't sign that deal fast enough. I will buy every single one, every single one. Cody, we probably don't have one property that's not a ten to fifteen percent yield on all of our subject twos. Wouldn't you say? Even even our properties that are outlays like like look at our look at our outlay on Des Moines. Our our outlay on Des Moines, or what I call entry fee in my in my mentorship. Our entry fee on that deal was fifty thousand dollars. So what that was is cash to the seller. We also had to pay their uh, help them pay an IRS lien. We paid um, our commissions to our sales guys. We paid closing costs, renovation, a couple of months of vacancy. 
and then um, marketing to get a tenant. So our total cost, total cost, because mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people miss out on too, is they don't understand the total cost. What yes. is to the penny? Did I have to buy a stick of gum on my way to the property to sign the contract? That All better that better be in my cost and my entry fee, right? Totally agree. So our Every entry fee on that, we were 50 grand. And I would say, what do we net on Des Moines? Are we netting like $600, $700 on Des Moines? Yeah, I think net net it's it's a little under just under six hundred dollars a month. So, so that's kind of an average yield for us. Yeah, so six times twelve is seventy two hundred. Yeah, that's that's probably a thirteen percent yield. That's uh, you're doing pretty well. If you can average double digit yield, you're going to run a very good business for a very long time. Yeah, we. You I know what I say, love about I that deal too. And just another thing to look at with, you know, doing creative finance deals is, which it didn't make any sense, Pace, when we were looking at the numbers originally on this particular property, but the seller had done a loan mod a few years back to reduce their mortgage to a lot lower amount than it should be for this mortgage. Like the typical mm -hmm. mortgage in this neighborhood, you know, for this particular property should have been $1,600 a month, but their mm -hmm. mortgage is only $940 a month. So it did... <laughs> It, it just uh, made the deal just super sweet for us. Nice work. So, Mr. Zuber, so you're talking about, um, you know, obviously you've been doing seller finance a lot. You mm -hmm. understand subject to uh, um, what are your plans for 2021 and, and beyond in terms of sub two? Are, what would you say would be your primary acquisition strategy? Is it joining the creative coalition and pe people bringing deals to you? Is it going out and going direct to seller through postcards and, you know, direct mail or what are your thoughts on acquisition strategy? So I do no direct marketing. I have, um, I do partner on marketing, right? Cause people at the hub, uh, I'll do 50, 50 splits and I get first ride refusal. Uh, I, I'm kind of lucky in that I don't, I don't have any employees. I don't want any employees. So for me, it's about growing my network. So being a part of the coalition is interesting to me because my where I'm at in life now, I'm trying to create something that outlives me by 50 years. That that's that's what I think about every day. What can I be a part of that outlives me by 50 years? Means I'm dead and gone and my impact is still 50 years. That's how I think. Interesting. Um, my I, wife and I were having a conversation about legacy today, right? So we were talking about how you know, we're a lot of the friends and people we hang around, Michael, you included, your, you know, your net worth is over eight figures. So at some point people go, okay, I'm going to retire. No, no, no. Let me tell you what retirement is. <laughs> retirement is quitting the software sales job. That's retirement. Now you get, you retire from the bullshit and now you get to go focus on your passion and everything that you want to do on a daily basis. You get to go, go to the Golden State Warriors games, which obviously you haven't. You and I were tagging each other when I was going to my, I have Suns tickets and you have Warriors tickets. What a weird year we've been in, right? It's I mean, bizarre. Are you, paying, are you paying your season tickets though? Like I, I did. Yeah, I paid them. It's so funny how I'm like, I'm pay, I pay my season tickets. Like, don't worry, you'll be able to use them in the future. I'm like, what are you going to do? Two seasons, one year? Like, how are we going to use these things? Anyway, so now you get to choose your your passion. And it's obvious what your passion is. Um, but it becomes more about legacy. And it becomes more about your ability to impact other people. Guys, I'm telling you, Michael is incredibly special. I have seen very few people do what he does. He built an office, which he then tells people in his local area, hey, I'm going to pick and choose people to come in here that all have different sets 
of skill so we can share each other's resources. He understands community at a very, very high level. So your business model in terms of acquisition strategy is essentially going to people, and correct me if I'm wrong or add to this, is say, hey, even if the even if the equity's tight, as long as the cash flow is right on the sub two, I will buy your sub two deals, bring your sub two deals to me. If you're a wholesaler in the local Fresno market, mm-hmm. bring these opportunities to me, me and my partners. I know you don't have partners, but maybe somebody yeah. else you know would be interested in buying those. Is that your marketing strategy? Absolutely. My, my marketing strategy going forward is to, um, I'm, I'm, I get the biggest kick out of helping other people be successful. I pick the people to be a part of the hub on purpose because I want them to be successful. Right. And they have been, they've, the, the energy that they create being around each other has expanded my ability to sprinkle in some marketing dollars and try, just try wild ass ideas. Awesome. I'm dropping 2,500 bucks here tomorrow to build out one of the offices. So no income, but I'm going to turn it into a podcast area because people at the hub wanted that. So again, I'm, I'm trying to sprinkle on people to make it better. Uh, I certainly will get some deal flow out of it. Uh, but the beauty about what we do with daily communications on my YouTube channel is I have now hundreds of people behind me saying, I'll buy. I've, I've helped transact two and a half million bucks this year just off my YouTube channel for other people. Not And I didn't take a lick of, I didn't take anything from it. I just helped connect a seller and a buyer. And that's a great feeling for me. And I didn't get paid a penny for any of that. Love that. So uh, Kafori321 says, how do you switch your mentality from getting big checks from wholesaling to getting smaller checks when owning rentals? I'm going to answer that very simply. You never do. For us personally, Michael Michael never built out a big wholesale operation like we have. But for us, we we do both. We take our wholesale uh, mechanism for marketing is what brings the majority of our sub two opportunities. Now, I've bought a lot of deals from my students this year. In fact, I we have so many deals. I got a, my best return, um, my best yield is a property that has no traditional cash flow and no equity. It's a property that um, a veteran bought in January in Vegas. He got a job opportunity in Colorado in April. And he's like, I don't want this house anymore. And I don't know what to do with it. And I'm not a real estate investor. So he couldn't sell through a real estate agent. Otherwise, he'd have to cut a check for $10,000, $20,000. He had no equity. It was a VA loan. He put no money down. He had no equity, nothing, right? So I said, I'll take that property over. What is that property now? I bought it subject to, I turned it into an Airbnb, my net net on that $1,700 every single month. How much did I give the seller? I gave the seller $0 and the seller still Venmos me today $147 every month for paying me back for the closing costs. Hmm. That was my agreement. So that opportunity came from a, from a community, which is awesome. But we, Cody and I bought last year, October, November, December, we bought 17, 18, and 19 subject two deals three months in a row. Wow. That came from our wholesale operation. So when you're marketing and you're direct to seller marketing, you have the opportunity to do one of three things. Okay. One, you can wholesale. Actually, one of four things. Check this out. One of four things. Everybody write this down. Everybody write this down. This is super important. You have four opportunities when you are direct to seller. Okay. Opportunity number one is pretty obvious. I can wholesale a deal that has enough equity 
enough meat on the bone to a cash buyer, whether that cash buyer is going to fix and flip it or buy and hold it, that's up to them. But I, I, there's enough meat on the bone, I can assign that deal wholesale. Okay, that's number one. Everybody knows about that. Number two is I can personally buy that deal and fix and flip it. Okay, so Cody and I, check this out, Michael. This is an interesting thing we do accounting-wise. Our wholesale operation will buy a deal and we will then assign that deal to our other LLC that does fix and flips. And the reason for that, you know why for financial purposes, but we have acquisition people, we have disposition people, we need to replenish our marketing and we don't want to rob from Peter to pay Paul, even though we're both Peter and Paul. So we will, uh, we will buy a wholesale deal, assign it to our fix and flip yeah. operation so that our people get paid. And then our fix and flip operation goes and works as its own silo. So one wholesale, two fix and flip your own deals. Okay. Or buy your own deals. That can be a, a buy and hold as well. Three, I can take an opportunity that has no equity or equity. doesn't matter. We don't have one sub two. This is a common misconception, by the way. People think we buy, we overpay for properties. We don't. We pay, sometimes we pay full retail value. We just don't put any money down, right? So our yield is insane because there's no actual money deployed other than closing costs. So you can acquire those deals subject to, or if a seller wants too much money and they have the house paid off, you can acquire it seller finance. So number three, is acquire on creative finance. Mm -hmm. Number four is one that people do not understand. Number four, people do not understand this. I can now wholesale that subject to or seller finance deal to a guy like Michael Zuber or a guy like Pace or somebody else and say, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for a creative finance deal in my business yet. But because I'm part of a community that teaches this, I know I have buyers in my network. I can assign a sub to seller finance deal to a credible buyer like Michael Zuber, like Pace. And ultimately, our goal is to have the creative coalition that just says, we'll buy up all your deals nationwide. So there's your answer. You never have to go away from wholesale. You can utilize creative finance and still wholesale to credible buyers. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, that was a good, that was a long tangent, right? Um, Michael Zuber, do you know um, Rylus Dana? I do not. Okay, so he's a big fan of yours. He, I love Rylus. He's unbelievable. We should have him on as a guest. He's a probate attorney and estate planning attorney. Him and I have done multiple deals together. He's great. He will actually refer his clients to us via email and we end up buying those deals. Nice. Um, Rylas, thank you for the comments. He says, this show has been great. Thank you for doing this. I would love to hear more about how the hub, about the hub. My goal with Mott Legal, which is his legal practice, is to bring the attorneys to this real estate investor community. Um, Michael, why don't you talk a little bit more about the hub, give some insight on what that is. Yeah, so the hub started with an idea. And the idea was, again, you got to remember my situation, right? So I live in the Bay Area. Fresno's two and a half hours away. Fresno has been remarkable to me over 20 years. I feel like I owe that city, the community, a lot. Uh, it's now every charitable dollar I give goes to some cause in Fresno. But I wanted to do more. And Fresno is a special place for me. It, it's 
it it doesn't have um, the cachet of the Silicon Valley, LA, but it is a tremendous place for families to live. You can live there on 60K a year. Some of the hardest working people I know are there. So I, I asked myself a couple of years ago after I left a six-figure job, what can I do? So I came across this building. It's on a nice road. It's on Van Ness. It's right by the city college that used to be a dentist office that was kind of beat to anything. So I worked out a deal. I bought it. I spent, you know, I'm all in a couple hundred grand and, but it had offices just like a dentist office, right? Little offices. And I looked at that building. I'm like, how can I help more people? And then I thought back to all the people I've tried to help online and all these areas. And it's like, you know what? So many people ask me to come to Fresno and I, you know, I was going to Fresno weekly, not for me, but for others. And I'm like, I know I can't do this forever. So why don't I create a building with people I trust, but let's staff it correctly. So what does that mean? That means I need a licensed general contractor because a lot of people don't have relationships in Fresno. So I had to find a licensed GC. That means I need licensed agents. And again, these eight, nobody works for me, folks. No, nobody's a you know part of my LLC. Nobody's part of this or that. I don't have a broker's license. I'm not looking to get paid anything on this. I'm trying to staff it with people that I trust, know, and respect who I want to be successful. So licensed GC, licensed agents. Then wholesalers. Wholesalers have been wonderful for me in Fresno. They brought me great deals. I found two or three that I know and respected, and I want them there. Uh, Airbnb was a part of it. One of the best flippers in Fresno is a part of it. Um, so again, that was a goal of mine. And I'm trying to just create a one-stop shop for people who want to help. Ideally for me, the hub becomes the buyer of all real estate in Fresno that people want out of, right? I want, it's, I, I want to call it like the hub is the eye buyer for Fresno, but we're not some big behemoth, but we have, we have people that can wholesale. We have agents that can help you list. We want it, you know, there's just so many things it can become. And again, I'm willing to invest. You want a podcast booth? You guys sketched it out? Great. Let's go. Because again, anything we can do to attract people to it is uh, is important for me. Um, so I really do it from a service angle. Um, yeah, that's that's you've been there. So I mean, I don't know if I missed anything. I, I freaking love that building. I walked in there and uh, so Stratton Brown hosted us and then he brought us to the to your office and I was just... First off, I was like, yo, we need to go by Zuber's office. And you ended up being there. I don't think we coordinated at all. I met your wife. You had your dog there. We got to hang okay. out. Yeah. Um, and then what we were doing with Stratton is Stratton goes, what do you guys want to do today? I go, I just want to call leads, man. Let's call leads. I'll call <laughs> your leads right now. So we started calling his leads. Jamil was calling on postcards that your office had received because you own so many rental properties. You're receiving all these you know, postcards. Yep. So Jamil starts calling these postcards, talk, you know, calling them as potential cash buyers to help Stratton. And I yeah. was just amazed by the vibe of that office because your Airbnb guy comes in, you know, all, all these wholesalers are hanging out. It's like, it's uh, like a honey, it's like a, a honey beehive, right? It's a beehive. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. So much activity, super cool. And it's something that Cody and I are planning on doing. We want to get a warehouse. We want to bring people in. We want to cultivate these guys into their own businesses. And obviously there's some altruism there. And then there's some, hey, I want to buy deals from you type of deal. Of course. You're leading, you're leading the way, man. I really think that that is the, the, the future of this real estate community is people banding together and building these offices together to become an unstoppable acquisition force. 
Yeah, really what I, my vision for the hub, and I'm thankful it's come together. It could be better, obviously, will we'll be better next year, was I wanted to be able to help, help everybody that came through the door. And help is the key word. Sometimes it's just, I mean, we probably get 50% of the people that come by just want to hear the one rental at a time story, get a picture, get a book, you know, just be inspired to keep going. They want to, they want to feel better, right? So if we can take somebody from the outside who's a little nervous, doesn't know what's going on, we can give them a little jolt of electricity to keep going, freaking great day. And then if we could take somebody coming in that's had you can't sell or doesn't know what to do, or you know, one of the guys did a probate mailing or whatever it is, we just want to provide options. And when you can Love provide it. options from a good place, you know, over the course of time, karma is going to treat you pretty well. So uh, right. I believe in that. So we're trend we're trending towards 300 people. I appreciate you coming on here. Guys, we've got another probably 30, 40 minutes. Let's go through some some awesome questions. Gaines City always comes with good questions. I love this question because I actually do not agree with Grant Cardone. What's your opinion, Michael Zuber, on Grant Cardone's don't buy where you live, don't own your home, just rent? Well, so first off, you have to understand the math that he is saying. So I get it. But I live in the real world. We're not all on paths to be billionaires. We do not have that. All of us do not have that desire. I grew up remarkably poor, remarkably poor, like eat a baked potato a day for 30 days. That was my only meal poor. So for me, you ain't freaking getting me to give up my home. I wouldn't quit work until my home was paid off, right? You are not taking this place away from me. So I disagree with it entirely. I believe most people's financial worth begins and ends with their home. And to do the disservice to tell them to rent is criminal. Um, especially today with interest rates below 3%. And we have, I mean, just play this out. Let's assume you can get a 3% interest today, which most of the people listening can. With all the money printing and all the nonsense we have going on, who's to say that inflation isn't over 3% in two or three years? You're essentially paying off debt with dollars that are depreciated to zero. For most people, their largest savings account is their house. I would not be here today if my parents didn't buy their house in the 70s because we had one really bad stretch, they had to borrow against the house to feed us. So no, I, I violently disagree with that mindset. I mean, I get it mentally, I get it mathematically, but at my core, I think it's one of the worst things he's ever said. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Cody, I want to hear about what your thoughts are on that, Cody. So I agree with this fully. I mean, what helped me get a head start over the last few years was I would buy, I'm, it's funny because I'm renting right now, but I'm renting because it's a particular property that I could use for marketing and media and, and it makes sense in a short period of time, right? So the the thing that got me a head start over, you know, within my early 20s was buying my homes that I was living in. So while all my friends were renting and living in cool places, cool apartments, they had the cool stuff, you know, it's like they were living, you know, spending all of their money on looking cool. And I was focused on growing my net worth and I was buying a home. I would rent rooms in it. I would house hack. So I was paying nothing for where I was living essentially, right? Almost nothing. I was growing equity. And then I would move from that home, buy another home, live in that one, house hack again, rent the last one out and doing that a few times, you know, it helps you get so much further ahead. And I couldn't agree with you more when you're saying most people are never going, even if you 
tell them till you're blue in the face to make good financial decisions. Most people will never make really good financial decisions to be financially free. And the best shot that most people have is going to be owning their own home. That is their savings account because it's a forced one that they have to make the payments on. So I agree completely with that, right? You know, so it's, and the options you have with house hacking, obviously it's not as friendly if you have a family and kids and you're know, renting to roommates, right? But it's still a, a really great option for people. And so I think it's one of the best ways to get started um, in real estate in general. It kind of can get somebody's appetite wet for real estate of buying their own home, living in it, turning it into a rental. It may not be the fastest way, but I think it's a great way for people to uh, to get started for sure. I'm going to I'm going to be a little controversial because you got a lot of people that are in here saying, oh, no, no, it's not criminal to say rent instead of buy. Remember, you make money where you buy, not where you sell. You think it's smart to buy a house in Denver. Yes, actually, I think it is smart to buy a house in Denver, even though me the median household price in Denver right now is six hundred thousand freaking dollars, which is insane. Um, people in California are like, oh, that's like a entry level home. I get it. <laughs> But here's here's my belief on this. You're going to pay money regardless whether you're renting or you're buying. Right? So my my thought is why would you if you have the choice, let's let's start with a couple of of starting points, bullet points. If you have the choice to rent the same property or buy the same property and you have the ability to do so, I would always suggest you buy that property because when you leave, you can turn around and do what Cody's done. Cody, since I've known him, has bought two homes that currently are both rented out. He owned the first house when I met him. It's rented out. He then bought a sub two he moved into. He then turned around, rented it out. So the income on both of those two properties basically pays the majority of his rent in his penthouse he's in right now. So my feeling is... Why would you rent? If you're Grant Cardone, my feeling is why would you buy? The guy is in like $30 million apartments in Miami Beach and he jumps around all over the globe. It makes zero sense for him to buy a property because most of his money is going into um, apartment complexes and building his brand and building his business. I get that. But again, let's remember everybody- there's one more thing I want to say about Grant, and, and, and you got to remember he's tying all this shit together. He is he talks down to single family homes. He calls them small. So yep. the last thing he wants to get called out on is, "Hey Grant, why'd you buy your home?" So you got to remember there's this bigger story that he's trying to stay inside. But the other yeah, thing, right there, get, actually, what was his first house he ever bought was a single family home. It's how he got his start. Exactly right. Exactly. The other thing, though, to the people going, no, no, no. I mean, there are times in your life where maybe it doesn't make sense, right? If you're going to be living in Denver for six months because you're on some kind of contract, then yeah, rent, right? If you don't know where you want to live in the country yet because you're just flitting about, rent, right? There are great reasons to rent. That wasn't the question. The question was, what should you do? If you're at the point of life where you just want to flit around, then flit around. It's totally cool. But yeah. I mean, it's it's not a question. That force saves for most people. And like, let's put numbers on it for like, because home ownership, roughly 68% of people own homes. For probably 90% of those people, it's their largest financial asset ever. 
that's an amazing statistic. It's just, yeah, it's just amazing. That's a great question, guys. I, I, I love that question. Um, a lot of Cardone comments. Ooh, check mm -hmm. this out. Matt Beard, by the way, check this out. So Matt Beard, we just met Matt Beard about a year and a half ago. We're now business partners with Matt Beard in three different businesses. When we first met him, he was an agent and he's like, I can't deal. I can't be an agent anymore. Teach me wholesale. So he goes out, takes massive action. The majority of those houses, I told you, uh, October, November, and December that we bought, you know, 16, 17, 18 homes each one of those months, the majority of those homes were subject to because Matt was out in the streets knocking doors. Nice. We were buying those deals from Matt actually running out and knocking doors on pre-foreclosures. Matt Beard, as a real estate agent, couldn't get his own mortgage because, again, isn't that funny? Real estate agents are the buyers and sellers of real estate. They're the conduit, but they can't even use their own income as validation to get their own mortgage. So he ended up buying his uh, first home subject to is a VA loan, and it completely changed everything for him. So Good point there. I love that. Um, let's see what I like other questions. This one. I like this one, Pace. And isn't your single family house a liability, however? So we weren't, Claudia, we weren't arguing whether a house is an asset or a liability. Obviously, asset is something that's putting money in your pocket. A liability is anything that money is going out of your pocket. The argument was, should you rent your home or should you own your personal residence? Primarily was the the thing there because it is a liability don't get me wrong it, it's definitely a liability the house that you live in is a liability yep thank thank you robert kiyosaki for enlightening all of us all those years ago yes yes 100 and I, claudio is super smart love claudio he lives in chicago he works virtually in texas wholesale mm -hmm. uh trying to do more creative finance stuff super super smart he always comes with amazing questions my my question is isn't your rental, it's not a liability in the sense that you have to do any of the repairs, right? But it is a, a fact that you're wasting all of that money. You're getting zero return on that money. At least for me, if, I'm, if I stay in my property for 30 years and I rent for 30 years, at the end of 30 years, I have something to show for my money. Yeah, so, uh, yeah there's no, no question. Yeah. And you can also, here's the other thing, guys, that you can't do on a rental for new people, you can't go and get a line of credit against your rental. You can't yeah, get again, a line that, of credit. That saved my family. That's a personal, that's a personal story. So again, my family's bought a house in Sunnyvale, California, part of the Silicon Valley for like 30 grand when I was very young. Uh, in the eighties, the Valley had a bad turn and we, my dad was unemployed for nearly a year. Uh, property has gone up. I don't know, hundred percent or 150% over a decade. The only reason we were able to survive is because they took out an equity line or a second or whatever it was that allowed us to limp through. If we were renting that house, my family would have been separated. My mom would have taken the kids, which would have been me and my sister to Michigan to be with her parents and my father who would have probably gone back to his parents in, in somewhere else. So again, you can't do that with a rental. You can't use it as a, oh my God, life-saving event. You just can't. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting when you go and do the burst strategy or even with private lenders, check this out. Some private lenders, this has been a long time that this has been something that my private lenders have asked for. But when I first started, my private lenders would ask me for collateral. 
I can't put my rental up for collateral, but I can put my private home, my personal home up for collateral. So when you're going out and raising private capital, now you tell me that having the ability to use my home as collateral is not an asset to my business. Yes, so sir. So I would argue that my personal home is an asset. Yeah, it's it's a it's a splitting hairs because Robert Kiyosaki made us change all our minds. Right. Everybody used to say your home's an asset. Then he showed via the income statement that it's a liability because it removes income. But when it is a again, let's talk about most people. It is their largest financial asset. And you can argue that. Do you want to argue that the income statement? And again, I'm an accountant, so you, you're not going to out income statement, balance sheet, cash flow statement me. <laughs> I get it. I get it. The cash moves in a liability. I got it. Makes sense. That's not yeah. everything. A house. That's not everything a house is. It is a home. Yeah. It is a piggy bank. It is something that can be borrowed against. It is something that can be passed down. It is something that can be sold later for profit. There are so many things that the house can be an asset. Yes, the monthly income statement of your house is a liability. I got it. Move on. Gain City has another great question. Do you guys prefer to invest in suburban or inner city downtown markets for long-term rentals? I can tell you... I'll be quick about this and I'll, I want to hear more what Michael says. We really only have one rental downtown. It's 17th Avenue. It's a it's a 100-year-old home. We love it. It's in a historic neighborhood. Has a main house and a guest house which are being rented out separately. But the majority of our homes are let's say that you have four parts of the city which is like downtown, you know, suburban downtown, suburban and then you have like rural areas. I would say the most of, most of our properties are like area two and three. And then we have a handful of properties on the outskirts with horse property. Honestly, mm -hmm. some of our best cash flowing properties, we have one property we bought two years ago. That bad boy cash flows $980 a month net. And it's a horse property because horse property here is high, it is in high demand. Hot, hot, hot. So if, if it's like, it was, it, we did it as a lease option. And at the time, the most money we were getting for lease option deposits or lease option fees was like 7,500. This lease option tenant gave us like $23,000 to get everybody else out of their way. They're like, I want this. So for us, I think also the opportunities come to us and we take them. And I just don't think we get as many downtown opportunities as I would probably like. What about you, Michael? Well, I'm going to look at this question another way. Uh, usually when I get questions like this, they're, they're really asking me where you won't invest, right? That's, that's really what I hear. So I do have a criteria that, that I use for a property I won't buy regardless, right? Kind of a line in the sand. And this is it for me. It's really simple. It's, well, I feel comfortable having my wife by herself in her very nice Mercedes go to the house during the day, go to the house, you know, mm -hmm. knock on the door, whatever, and leave all by herself. If she is unsafe to do that, or she's going to be harassed or whatever during the day, I won't buy that house regardless. It's not worth it. Um, no matter the yield. No matter. It doesn't matter. I don't need my people that are going to be managing my property wear a freaking bulletproof vest to collect rent. It's just not worth the headache, the hassle. Um, that's the problem with a lot of yield-based conversations is your yield sometimes skews to the rougher areas. But that's the problem with Excel because Excel doesn't know real life yeah. and you know what's going on. So you have to have a line in the sand. So that's how I read that question.
But to use your analogy, Pace, most of my stuff is in area, yeah, two and three. I don't have any horse farms, no, nothing that rural, rural. I do have probably 5% of my stuff would be considered downtown for us. That's the Lowell district. Actually, I, I saw just because all these wholesalers, I'm the I'm in the top 10% of owners in downtown in Fresno. I'm number 10. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. awesome. So I actually have a question for you, Michael, because I'm th as I'm thinking about this and where you're talking about going through the the last downturn, sure. what would you say are some of the most important things investors can do right now as they're acquiring rentals? Because there's a lot of people that are scared to buy right now. I have a, I know a lot of investors that they aren't buying rentals. They're fearful of the market just going down and it's going to be a disaster. I mean, yeah. what what is your thought on that? going mm -hmm. forward, you know, over this next few years and, you know, what, what can someone do to be the best prepared possible? So there's a couple of things there. And again, I'm an open book as hopefully you guys have seen by now, this is what I'm doing. What I'm telling people I'm doing, I'm buying as many single family homes yeah. as I can today. They are hot. Space is good. Exit from uh, urban communities is real. Millennial bios are real. So I'm trying to buy as many single family homes as I can now because units are going to be in pain. Um, Rent collections are going down in December. I own apartment buildings and I've seen a noticeable shift in December. This is going to hit the multifamily. Multifamily, the real funny thing from this going through last time is what was wrong last time? We joked about it earlier. It was the debt structure was wrong. We talked yeah. about the lending being toxic, remember? Yeah. Well, guess what? Multifamily has toxic debt. It's called interest only periods. So what happens now on all these value add multifamily people that are chasing Grant Cardone is they buy a, a, a C-class apartment building that needs fix-up. They get two or three years of interest-only payments. They now are doing that in an environment with falling rents, higher vacancies, more evictions, and you can't you know, get anybody out. Pretty soon, their debt structure is going to eat them alive. It's going to go from interest-only to fully amortized. Uh, you're going to have a ton of technical defaults. So I am not looking at multifamily. I'm going to do exactly what I did in this book the first five years. I'm going to buy every house I can. I'm going to hold for five to eight years and I'm going to 1031 into apartment buildings and uh, it's going to be amazing. That's what I'm doing right now. House, houses, houses, houses. That's a, that's honestly our strategy right now is that I will buy at the very tippy top of the market as long as my yield is, is good and my um, interest rate is good. Um, yeah. Our average sub two interest rate. Well, when you, so our average sub two interest rate now is 3.5%. Our average seller finance interest rate is 1.9% because we're getting some deals, you know, 80 to $150,000 at 0%. We're yeah. getting deals in the 300, 400. We just bought a property in Ansley Park for 1.1 million. One of the most gorgeous places in Atlanta, turning it into an Airbnb. Um, and that interest rate is like 3% on a $1.1 million home, right? I will buy whatever I possibly can and we will do the same thing. We Here's a question I have for you. Cody and I are big depreciation users. We will take depreciation. In fact, on some of our properties, we'll go take um, cost segregation on some of these higher end or um, commercial properties. You should. The main reason I bought that Ansley Park deal is our CPA said, you, you're going to pay taxes this year if you don't go buy something over a million dollars like right now. So mm -hmm. um, we bought the property primarily for depreciation. We will then 1031 to avoid the, re, the recapture. And then my inheritance will not have to pay the recapture payment 
What are your thoughts on depreciation? Are you utilizing depreciation? Oh man, depreciation is a magical gift that never stops. Um, I mean, here's the real truth, right? I, I, I walk into January 1st, roughly. I can make between two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollars and not pay a lick of taxes. There you go. Depreciation's awesome. I, people I, people don't get it. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, okay, so Jonathan Dunn said, "Didn't you mention you typically don't acquire with a lease option?" Yes, we very rarely. We only actually we only have one property that we own on a lease option right now. Um, and we don't own it. We just have the option to own it, obviously. But this is, check this out. This is an interesting story, Michael. So talking about due on sale clause, mm -hmm. we have a property that um, we acquired. It was behind in payments, had arrears. Mm -hmm. We catch up those arrears. We close escrow. We transfer deed. Or we, we record the deed like 24 hours after we reinstate the loan. Okay. What happens is the bank is such a small bank they physically had a manila folder on their desk. And so like three or four days later, they go to their computer to manually reinstate the loan and they go, oh, wow, there was a deed transfer. Okay, due on sale, whatever. A very long story short, we ended up calling the, the president of the bank, which ultimately was the owner, which was also the son of the original founder of the bank. That's how small of a bank this was. And he said, what, what would you do in our situation? We know the answer. I could easily deed the property back to the seller, rebuy it on an agreement for sale or a land contract or whatever. But the bank owner says, you know what? Why don't you buy this on a 15-year renewing lease option and your option price is the remaining balance of the mortgage after 15 years of payment? So essentially, I bought it sub two. The only challenge is I don't have deed, which means now I can't utilize depreciation on that one property. But right. I'm okay with that because every payment we make goes towards the PITI. And at the end of 15 years, we'll, we will have cash flowed. The property will have appreciated and we will have paid that property down significantly. We will then sell the property on the open market, pay off the underlying, roll that, that profit into another deal. Yeah, so as you should. very rarely, only when forced, will I acquire on lease option. I'm not a big, we don't like lease options because we understand the power of subject to is I'd rather just control the asset and I'd rather just have my name on deed than ever have to refinance that home out. I'm not interested in getting a mortgage. So no, we will sell the property on lease options, but we are kind of going towards the route of another good question for you, Michael. See, you're like one of my favorite guests because I love talking to people who are doing the same thing we're doing and kind of get, this is why masterminds are so fun because you get to talk to guys who are actually doing deals, right? Mm -hmm. um, we are leaning towards a route of doing more section eight. We currently, six months ago, we're doing zero section eight, zero. Now we're transferring to a little bit more and getting into it. Um, what are your thoughts on section eight? Do you have any section eight? I am a large Section 8 landlord. Um, again, it's kind of my calling, frankly, again, given how, how I grew up. So I was, I felt like when I made it, I had to give back. So of my, of my couple hundred units, I'd say 40, 35 to 40% are Section 8. All of my units are Section 8 available, meaning they're at the price point where if the applicant 
qualified or, or was approved, they could move. Um, I'm a huge fan, but I'm a huge fan for reasons that most people don't get. Remember, I told you I live in the Bay Area, but I invest in Fresno. So what does that mean? First, it means I have a property manager who I pay six figures a year to manage the portfolio, right? So one of the things I'm always about is check the checker. Section eight allows me to check the checker because section eight will do an inspection and it will drive some of you landlords nuts because it costs you a hundred bucks. I love the section eight inspections because I get to see if my property manager is doing their job. It's a hundred bucks. They'll allow me to know if they're doing their job and I get to call them out on it. And if the tenant's not doing their job, you know, they need to wise it up as well. So I love Section 8. I love the yearly inspections. Uh, it, it is a tremendous program in this economy. I have not missed $1 from a Section 8 tenant in this How entire cool that? It shows up uh, on the first or the day before. Um, and the other thing we must realize is we are likely to be a community, meaning a country, that has a growing housing affordability problem. And the Section 8 program is going to grow. And being a landlord's hard. So we're going to reduce the supply of landlords. So what does that mean for guys like us? It means our rents are going to go up. And if you have a debt structure that's fixed, again, I've been doing this forever, right? For 20 years. And I suspect rents are going to go up probably 20 to 25% in the next four or five years. Oh but if, my gosh. Absolutely. If your debt structure is fixed. That's all profit. It's amazing. It, it, oh my gosh. There's so many deals that we'll look at that the cash flow or the yield today is maybe a hundred dollars net per month, but we know in two years we're at 350 and in five years we're at 600 bucks. Like you can really destroy just by holding and making sure. Obviously, you want to net cash flow up front, you don't want to be hemorrhaging, but my gosh, the fixed debt is so amazing. Sabina, who is one of my students, she's in the DMV market. She loves Section 8. She says in Baltimore, Maryland, D.C. area, Section 8 inspection doesn't cost anything in their area. That's pretty cool. That's, I, I want some of that because I, I spend, I don't know, six grand a year on those damn inspections. So are all of your properties in California, because I always bust my students' chops that are trying to buy properties in California. My guys, if you're just starting out, do you really want to invest your money in California? Michael, you're pretty amazing proof that people are crushing it as landlords in California. Yeah, I mean, California for, I mean, th th this, we should just have this conversation, right? Texas versus California. I mean, I, I get it, right? Okay, if, if the answer is who can get you out, who can get a bad tenant out faster, Texas wins. Hands down, it's not even a contest. I mean, in fact, in Texas, you probably can get three people out before I can get one. I mean, it's, it's, it's better, but there's a problem with that argument. That means you're a pretty shitty landlord. I, you need to have a, your job as a landlord is to control your yes answers. I have a very tight box. I say no to more than 50% of my applicants. Most landlords don't do that. I have a very high bar to get in because I know, because I am in California, if I pick a bad apple, it will take me months to get them out. So if you have good tenant screening, you have good tenant criteria. Yes, some people still slip through, but it's all good. But then what does California give you that Texas doesn't? California gives you cycles, right? And if you dance through the raindrops, if you learn your market, you can do exactly what I did. 
get in houses, houses go up, you 1031 out of houses, you go to apartments, housing crashes. You come in, you get hard money, private money, housing comes back. You go into multifamily. It's I could not have retired financially free by being in Texas. Now, the other thing that people don't get that's not good for Texas, y'all reset your property taxes every year. I have Californians who bought in Austin and Dallas 10 years ago that were killing it that now have negative cash flow because property taxes are up. That is a really strong point. So, yes, I will take the tenant hassle, but I fix that by being a smart landlord and not saying yes to everybody. In fact, I say no to more people than I say yes. And I have the cycle at my back. I buy what's cheap. I sell what's expensive. You know, and my property taxes, thanks to Prop 13, is fixed. And I bought a lot of stuff in 2010. So I'm doing just fine. Guys, we have um, a little over 300 viewers between all of our streams right now. Give Michael some love. And <laughs> tell us, tell us would, would you guys want to have him come back? Would you guys want to have him come back? soon and specifically talk about subject two and maybe do some deal structuring for the community because I see Gain City says, hey, I've got a deal in Frostburg. Um, what is MD? Is that Maryland? Um, Maryland. Gain City, reach out to uh, Sabina. She's in Baltimore, Maryland market. Reach out to Sabina. She's one of my students and she's incredibly, she's like the female Michael Zuber. <laughs> but but she, also she also has an accent. So Maybe not so California-esque. Reach out to Sabina in the chat. She's in the chat. Reach out to Sabina. She can help you out. So, Michael, I would love to have you back sooner than later. Maybe we could have you back first week of January, and we could talk all about strategy for 2021, and we can structure deals for people. Oh, somebody says they want you to move, move in with them. Jay, <laughs> Jay, Jay says, I want him to move in with me. <laughs> Guys, um, give this man some love. We have time for one more question. We're actually over our time, but this was so fun, actually fun for me because a lot of times we're talking to people that have recently done some deals and I rarely get to talk to my friends on my podcast that are doing a lot of deals. Um, most of those conversations are, you know, as I'm walking around my neighborhood and on the phone with my buddies, I this has been basically a conversation just with one of my buddies. I love it. Thank you. This has been prob probably one of my favorite favorite Sunday services we've done all year, really. Wow. I'll come back anytime you guys want. Perfect. Um, so, Claudio, okay, here we go. Here's our last question of the night. What happens, oh my gosh, this is like, I've answered this one million times and today is going to be one million and one. Service. I think it's just like a reoccurring question every Sunday service. Yeah. So let me answer this for everybody. So what happens if a seller files bankruptcy do, during the sub two agreement later on because he is part of the, it is part of the seller's debt? Here's what happens. The seller no, we, I've ran into this four different times. It's never caused an issue. The seller no longer owns that property. There's no asset for the court to force him to sell. Yes, they have a debt. But what happens is when they're going through bankruptcy, they don't name that debt on their bankruptcy because it's currently being paid for. Everything else gets wiped out. That one stays in place. It gets approved by the bankruptcy judge. I've never seen it not happen that way. Now, 
it's more likely to have an issue before you close escrow and you become the owner of that property than it is for it to become an issue afterwards. Because afterwards, guess who the owner of the property is? You are, not him, nobody else. You are the owner of the property on a sub too, okay? This is also why sometimes acquiring on a lease option is something I'm not a big fan of because I have no control of this seller's situation. But when I have the deed, I have title to the property, I control the asset, okay? Now, if there's an issue up front, let's say the seller is in bankruptcy because Cody and I have bought properties from people who are in foreclosure, they're three days away from go going into foreclosure and they learn that if they file bankruptcy, Mm -hmm. they can extend the foreclosure. And so we've acquired quite a few properties of people that have filed bankruptcy and that it's the same process. What happens is you notify the bankruptcy court, we are purchasing this property, we are taking over the debt, we're using a servicing company to handle this and you get explicit permission from the bankruptcy court and they omit that property from the bankruptcy. It's very simple. I'm actually... I say it's really simple. It's like putting on a <laughs> pair of pants. But there's, you know, Someone it's like, else is just like ah! <laughs> wait, what? Omit? What does omit mean? How do I, where's the, that's the answer. Um, that's the quick 35 second answer. And if you guys want, we can talk more about that. I'll bring a bankruptcy attorney onto Sunday service, uh, maybe second or third week in January and bring you guys some massive value if you guys really want us to do that. Okay. Um, wow. All of a sudden, a bunch of questions. But guys, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. Here's what I want everybody to do. A couple of things. Michael Zuber came here, gave us value. It's, is it 840 where you're at or 740? 740. Thank goodness. We're not, you, half the year we're on the same time. The other half we're not. So at least it's not nine o'clock, but still guys, it's eight o'clock he stayed up. He took time away. This guy's worth eight figures, eight figures, not seven. Definitely not six. He's worth eight figures. Okay. Go follow him on Instagram. Go show him some love one rental at a time. He also has a book. As you guys can see, the covers of his book is in the background of his uh, podcast of our podcast here. One rental at a time. Michael, what's the easiest way to do that? I already know it's Amazon, but how do I get there? And or audible. Yeah. Just type in Michael Zuber or type in one rental at a time. It's pretty easy. It's, 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 it's what's the cost of the book. It's 15 bucks. It's still a five-star review on Amazon after a couple of years, 351 reviews as of this morning. Yeah, I'm pretty proud wow. of that. Five-star review. Guys read the book one rental at a time. And what we'll do is we'll have Michael Zuber back first week in January. We'll talk about strategies of 2021 We'll talk about looming market crash. We'll talk about all the things that everybody on YouTube is talking about and we'll have a blast. Maybe we'll even extend, well, maybe we'll do it a little earlier and we'll do it a little bit longer. We'll do a two and a half or something a little bit longer, just launching into 2021. What are your thoughts? I'm down for three or four hours. Don't worry about the time, man. This is fun for me. I really am doing this to help people. So if you want to go three, four hours deep, I think people need to hear about 2021. I think a lot of the YouTube entertainers are wrong and spectacularly wrong. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm down to do whatever I can for you too. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. This was a great episode of Sunday service. Let all your friends and family know about it. Follow Michael Zuber, go buy his book, and we'll see you guys next week.